when God gave instructions to Noah on how to build that ark, how many know that God was very detailed in his instructions? God told him the type of wood to be used. The wood was gopher wood, and we really still don't even know what kind of wood that is. Some have some guesses, but we're not sure. God gave the specific dimensions of how to build it, you know, the length and the width and the height. The ark, it was to be waterproofed with pitch, the Bible says, on the inside and the outside. The ark, it was to have three levels, among other things. And all of this is significant, and we could look into each detail perhaps, but notice with me a couple more specific instructions given by God to this man named Noah, Genesis 6.16. It says, a window, everyone say a window, a window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door, everyone say the door. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. Now we understand that the ark's size with its three levels, how that was important because of course the ark, it needed to house all of the animals and much supplies for their journey on top of that flood water. And the pitch, it was important that that tree sap or whatever it was, it was important because the ark needed to be watertight, the the boat needed to float, you know. But let's talk about this morning for a few minutes the door and the window. Now it's also somewhat obvious perhaps why the door was important because, because there needed to be a way onto that ark. You, you got to understand this was, this was a very large barge, if you will. This was a giant vessel, and, and this was not something that you could just climb over the edge. There had to be a door set in the side, just like the Lord said. Without a door, the rest really didn't matter. Without a door, no one would have access to the safety that the ark afforded them. And without a door, no one would be able to escape the coming flood of judgment. It didn't matter how how much Noah would, would follow the rest of the instructions of the Lord. If Noah didn't follow this one instruction and, and get this door right, then none of it mattered. The door was important. And so, Noah, make sure you put a door in that ark that you are building. And you've got to understand today that, that this story in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, it is more than just some ancient story. But this is a story that is very relevant to you and I in these end times in which we live. And Jesus actually is the one that plainly connected our day to Noah's day. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and they were drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage, they were just going about their lives as usual, business as usual until the day that Noah entered into that ark. And they knew not until the flood came, but when it came, it took them all away. And so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. That's what Jesus said. He tells us that the days that lead to the, leading up to the coming of the Lord, or we might say the rapture of the church, it will have many similarities to Noah's day. Jesus lets us know that there will be wickedness abounding in our day like there was in his day. He lets us know that judgment will soon come to this earth, not by a flood of waters, but, but as Peter said, the elements melting with a fervent heat. Judgment is coming soon. He tells us that many will be preoccupied by life and too busy to consider this message of hope and salvation. And Jesus tells us that the coming of the Lord, it will catch many people unaware. Like a thief in the night, he would say. But despite all of that, despite all of the attitudes of his day, still Noah preached. He lifted his voice with a message of salvation to any who would hear him. Despite the wickedness and despite the cavalier attitudes and despite all those preoccupied with the cares of life, Noah preached. A message of hope and a message of salvation. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. So, you know, he was a carpenter on one hand building that ark, but he was a preacher of righteousness on the other hand, lifting his voice, even though many would have mocked. And, and obviously many, most, all but his family quickly disregarded his message. Still he preached a message of hope, a message of salvation, and he said, hey, it's time to get on the ark. 
It's time to get involved in what God is building. It's time to get involved with what the word of the Lord has spoken to me. Because the floodwaters are coming. And judgment is about to hit this earth. But, but you don't have to be lost. You can be saved by God's mercy. Now we understand this morning that in Noah's day, salvation, it came in the form of that ark that God told Noah to build. But in these last days, someone say today, in these last days, salvation comes in the form of another ark, if you will, and it's called the church of the living God. And it is not built by human hands, but, but Jesus would say, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I wonder if we can just pause for a moment and thank God for the fact that we are in the church of the living God this morning and there's a message of hope being lifted and proclaimed from the pulpit and from the preacher. There's an opportunity to be saved and it's by the church. And so in that ark, there was a door. Everyone say a door. And not multiple doors, one door. God said, Noah put one solitary door on that ark. Because there was only one way to get on board that ark. And let me tell us this morning that in the church, there is one door. Not multiple doors, but everyone say one door. There is only one way to get into this thing called the church, to get into this entity in the earth called the church. And it was Jesus who said in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. And by me, by Jesus, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. He shall go in and out and he shall find pasture. Come on, that's the God that we serve this morning. How many are thankful that we, that we know the door this morning into the ark called the church? His name is Jesus. Can you clap your hands for a moment and just celebrate Jesus today? I'll just slow down and make it a little bit plain. If you want to get into the church, there is no other way to get in except to go through the door called Jesus. There is no other way into this thing. It is only by Jesus. We do not get in based on our merit. How many know that grace, God's grace, is his unmerited favor? This is no meritocracy this morning. It doesn't matter how much you have achieved or might achieve. We are not here because of what we have done. We are not here this morning because of our works or, or our efforts. The prophet Isaiah, he said that all of our righteous good deeds, if we could stack them up somehow and if we could pile them at the foot of Jesus and let him have a look, the Bible says that all of that is as filthy rags in the sight of the Lord. And so we are not here based on our own efforts or by our own doing. We are here today in the church and we have access to the safety that it affords us because of Jesus. You've got to enter in through the door named Jesus, are you thankful that you know him today? Are you thankful that you've had your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus? And if you have not had the chance to enter into a relationship with the Lord, today is your day. Behold, today is the day of salvation. I want to tell somebody this morning that, that if you want to get in the church, you've got to make your way past the cross of Calvary. And you, like Jesus, have to die to your will and to your way and turn to him in repentance. If you want to enter into the church, you've got to make your way then by that borrowed tomb that Jesus laid in for three days. And, and you likewise have to be buried in the watery grave of baptism, taking on his name. Come on, it's only by Jesus. And if you want to enter into the church, you then have to pass by that stone that was rolled away. And you've got to allow the power of the Holy Ghost to come into your life and experience resurrection power. Come on, Jesus is the door. His gospel, his death, his burial, his resurrection. It's the only way to be saved. The only door into this ark is Jesus. John, uh, Jesus said in John 14, he said, I am the way. And I am the truth. And I am the life. No man comes to God. No man gets to the Father but by me. Acts 4.12. Neither is there salvation in any other. 
There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is all through Jesus. It is only through Jesus. And so that, that ark, it had a door. And the church, it has a door. You know, God also told Noah that the ark needed a window. Everyone say a window. Now we understand why the door is there. We understand the significance of the door. The door is there so that those outside can come inside. The door presents an opportunity for salvation to anybody who wants to enter in. This is to whosoever will. This is for those who may be right now afar off. It affords the opportunity for salvation. But the window, it is not intended to be used by those on the outside. The window is there so that those inside can see what is happening outside. And the window, it presents an opportunity for vision to those who are already on board. And I think it's very significant. You know, you think in the grand scheme of the story of Noah, the ark, and that great flood, why God would, would tell him to put a window in that ark. Well, I think it's significant today, and I think that we can lift a powerful truth from this text. Can I tell us today that the church must not only have a door that lets people in to this ark, but the church must also have a window so that we can see out beyond the borders of the ark. We must have a door, absolutely. Without the door, nothing else matters. And I am thankful for the door. I'm thankful that we preach uh, the gospel message and the apostles' doctrine. That's the door, and it's not about to change. I'm thankful for the door. But what about the window today? Do we have vision for those outside the church? We must have our eyes looking outward to those who are not here yet. The church must have a window. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we started this little mini-series, and I won't go through all the details of two weeks ago, but, but we discussed what Noah did at that ark, didn't we? We talked how he, he released the raven first, and it flew away, and it never came back, but then Noah sent out that dove from the window, and he sent it out multiple times looking for dry ground. And we remember that the dove, it is a type of God's spirit. So when we see the dove in Scripture, we are meant to understand that it is speaking to us about the nature of the Spirit of God. And, and we could get really lost in the weeds, perhaps, of this analogy, but, but let me just make a, a general observation about this story. That there is a definite connection between the window and the dove. There is this, this undeniable connection between the window and the dove. And what I understand from the text, and as I prayed and just said, Lord, what would you have me to say today? I feel like the Lord prompted me to say that when the church starts looking through the window, and when the church gets a vision for what is happening beyond our four walls in a new and in a fresh way, that is where the Spirit of God can partner with us and work with us, and it helps us to find the good ground in the hearts of people beyond the walls. And beyond the borders, that's what happens when we go to the window and we get our eyes fixed on those not here yet. The window is important. We need a window alongside the door. I would say today that whether the church is inward focused or outward focused, that determines whether we become a cage or a conduit for the Spirit of God to move. A cage or a conduit. And I just really believe that in this service today, in everybody in my hearing and those joining us online, I believe that God is going to help us to renew our vision and to renew our burden for a lost and a dying world and people who are hurting and people who are beyond the borders of the ark of safety, beyond the borders of the church today. I, I just believe that in the Spirit, we're going to open the window wide and the dove is going to be released and the Spirit of God is going to help us and empower us. In Jesus' name. Clap your hands if you believe that this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. The window and the dove. I really believe today that God is desiring to work through his people. To reach others who are different than us and in places that we would not normally expect. Can I say that again? I believe that God desires to use his people 
to reach others who are different than us in places that we would not normally expect. It is not all going to happen here. I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for our services. But, but I don't want to just relegate God to, to a few 90-minute service structures. And, and I, don't, I don't feel like, like we ought to try to relegate and contain God within the four walls of brick and mortar of 71 Downing Street. Come on, it's not all going to happen here. I'm thankful for when it does. But the dove is going to fly out the window and help us other places. In places we would not normally expect. God is wanting to work through us in that way. And our job is to be willing when God says go. In the Old Testament, we have the story of the prophet named Jonah. And Jonah was from the northern kingdom of Israel. And he lived in the 8th century B.C. Now, of course, Jonah is most known, perhaps most famous, for surviving three days and nights in the belly of a great fish. It makes for a great Sunday school story. And so many of us know the story. And, and this account in Scripture, it illustrates beautifully for us the mercy of God. The mercy of God. In this short but powerful 48-verse book of the Bible, the book of Jonah, it begins with these words. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, everyone shout it, go. Everyone shout go. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. And cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa. Everyone say Joppa. Joppa. Keep that name, keep that place in the back of your mind. He goes down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare thereof and he went down into the ship to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so rather than obey the command to go... Jonah ran away from preaching to the Ninevites, which begs the question, why was Jonah so hesitant to do what God said? You've got to understand that Nineveh, it was a part of the Assyrian kingdom, the Assyrian empire. And Assyria, they were an idolatrous and a ruthless nation that was bent on conquering the world. They had been long enemies of Israel, which, which brings a bit of context to Jonah's reluctance. In fact, it would, it would be Assyria that would someday soon be responsible for destroying Israel and taking its people captive as slaves. These were Jonah's people. They were enemies of the Israelites, enemies of Jonah's people. And, and, and I can imagine that Jonah is thinking, this, this, this is who you want me to go and preach to, God? Th these are the ones, this is who you're wanting to extend a message of mercy and at the end of the story, Jonah gives his reason for resistance. Jonah 4, verse 2, he prayed unto the Lord, and he said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? God, didn't I tell you this is what was going to happen? Th therefore, this is the reason that I fled before you unto Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God. I knew you were merciful. I know that you're slow to anger and you're of great kindness and repentest thee of evil. I knew that you weren't going to follow through on your message of judgment coming against the people of Nineveh. I knew it. In other words, Jonah was very okay with Nineveh being destroyed, which is kind of a shame for a man of God. He felt that they deserved God's judgment, and he was content to just keep on prophesying and just keep on being a man of God among his fellow Israelites in his own little ecosystem. He was completely fine with that, just doing his thing in familiar territory. But I tell you today, God is desiring to work through his people to reach others who are different than us in places we would not normally expect. God had a job for Jonah to go and preach the word of God to a sinful people in unfamiliar territory, God was saying, go. Come on, somebody say, when God says go. God was saying to Jonah, it's time to go, and Jonah resisted. And what is fascinating to me about this story, and the reason that it fits in the message this morning, among other reasons, is because Jonah's name in the Hebrew is Yonah, and his name means dove. Jonah literally is a representation of, of the dove, the spirit of God, going to a people in an unfamiliar place to extend mercy and grace and salvation. 
God was prompting his prophet. God was wanting to send Jonah, the dove, to a people far away from God, to people that seemed like the the most unlikely candidates for mercy. And if it would have been up to Jonah, Nineveh would have been destroyed. I'll say today that, that Jonah tried to cage that dove. Jonah was willing to cage and to, and to contain, at least to try, what God was desiring to do. I believe that Jonah had no vision. No vision beyond what was familiar to him. No vision for God reaching people that were not like him. But God was saying, it's time to go. It's time to go, Jonah. And if you will just step out in obedience, and if you'll just say what I am calling you to say, you are going to see my spirit The dove, you will see my spirit work in powerful ways as you do what I ask. Now, I won't go through the whole story. You know, eventually, Jonah, he does come to that place of repentance, and he turns back to God. He goes to Nineveh, and he preaches what God says. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the amazing thing is, Jonah 3, verse 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God. What a novel idea. What an amazing thing that when Jonah did what God asked him to do, that there was this positive and powerful response from those that God had prompted him to preach to. It's amazing what will happen when we, in those moments, when we are are kind of in between and we're like, well, is this really what God is saying And, and, and should I really do this? Should I really step out in faith? It's amazing what will happen when we step out at the prompting of God's Spirit and do what He is asking us to do. I'm telling you that the Word can find good ground when we will be obedient to the Spirit of God. The people of, God, the people of Nineveh, they believed God. These pagan, these, these sinful people, so far removed from the covenant of Israel, so far removed from, from, from the family of faith and the covenant of Abraham, they, they were so far removed, but they proclaimed a fast. And they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. And this message of doom and gloom and judgment that is soon coming, it reaches the king of Nineveh. And the king even calls the entire city to repentance and to fasting. Saying, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? In verse 10, it says, and God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil. He extended mercy instead of judgment at their repentance. That he had said that he would do do unto them. And the Bible says he did it not. You see, Jonah discovered that day that God's salvation, it is not just available to those that we think it should be extended to. Jonah found out that God's salvation is available to anybody who will turn to God in repentance. It's available to the whosoever will. Not just the ones that Jonah would choose. Not just the ones that we think are prime candidates, but anybody is a prime candidate to experience the mercy and the grace and the salvation of God. Anybody can repent and turn to God and get right with Him. Anybody is able to step through the door named Jesus and get on this ark of salvation called the church and make it all the way to glory. Anybody can do that. It doesn't matter where you came from. It could be your first time in the house of God today and you may have a sordid and broken past, but God can forgive you and God can extend mercy to you. To anybody who will repent. And I say again that God desires to work through his people to reach others who are different than us in places that we would not normally expect. What a powerful display of God's saving power that day. Jonah preaches one time, one message, and about 120,000 turned to God in repentance. That's quite a track record. I'd love to have a a track record like that. You know, I, I feel like Jonah, that'd be a time to retire, you know, like I'm 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 batting a thousand here. Put it on my resume. But that's the mercy of God. And that is what happens when God's people choose to go to those who are different than us, even when it's uncomfortable, and in places that are unfamiliar. That's what I'm preaching to us today. I'm preaching that we ought to throw open wide the window of the church. 
throw open wide the window and get a fresh vision for those that are not here yet. And when our focus and beyond our focus, our feet, when they go to those beyond the borders of the church, I'm telling you, there is a connection between the window and the dove. It is there that the Spirit will meet us with great power and great demonstration. God is going to back you up, and God is going to come good on his word. He will not let you be ashamed when you declare his gospel. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. That's not just me not being embarrassed. That is me. That is God letting me know that he is not going to let me be put to shame when I declare this glorious gospel to the whosoever will. I'm preaching to a Jonah today, maybe. But God is saying, go. Don't cage what God wants to cause to flow through you today. Don't cage the spirit that is within you. Don't respond with reluctance, but, but say yes when God says go. Because there are people that need what you have And there are people that want what you have. There are people that are so broken, so hopeless, and they are just longing for somebody to come and say, hey, I've got hope. There is salvation available. There is peace that can be found in this Jesus. Somebody wants what you have today. Can we, can we just all collectively believe that today, that, that there is somebody that God wants to send me to, and not only are they hungry for it, they may not even realize it, but they want what we have today. They want what we have. Go with me to Acts 10, and I'll close here. Acts chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, flip open to that. We're going to be through that chapter a little bit. Here we see the story of the Apostle Peter. And he is the first apostle to preach salvation to the Gentiles. That that just simply means those who are non-Jews. And it's about 10 years now after the day of Pentecost, and the church has seen explosive growth but it has only been among those Jewish believers. Up to this point, there was still a lingering wall of tradition that was separating the Jewish Christians from the Gentiles. There was this level of comfort in the church to just kind of stay with the status quo and stay with what was familiar, but God was about to change that. God was about to shift some things and see some new new believers some new babies in Christ added into the church. You see, there was this Roman centurion also in the text. Perhaps you know his story. His name was Cornelius. He was from a city called Caesarea. The Bible calls him a devout man. He is one that feared God, but not him only. He feared God with his house, the Bible says. He led his family well. The Bible tells us that he gave to the poor and he prayed always. This is the picture of, you know, what every believer, what every Christian strives to be. That was Cornelius. He, he, was very, he was very good. He was a good man. Some might say a very religious man. But being good or being religious is not the same thing as being saved. And God had more for Cornelius to do. And so an angel appears to Cornelius and tells him, Acts chapter 10, verse 5, And now send men... To Joppa. Everyone say Joppa. Joppa. Sounds familiar. Send men to Joppa and call for one Simon whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, another guy named Simon, who's a tanner. And you'll find their house by the seaside. And this Peter, this Simon Peter, this apostle, he will tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Because even though he was a good man, and even though he was a religious man, and he prayed, and he gave to the poor, God still had something for Cornelius and his family to do. And so that's exactly what Cornelius does. He sends men to Joppa to find this guy named Peter. Now meanwhile, Peter is sitting in Joppa. He's on a rooftop. He's waiting for dinner to be served. The Bible says he is very hungry, which being interpreted is hangry. Very hungry. Not just hungry, very hungry, the Bible says. And it is here that God starts speaking to Peter through a vision. Now, I, I, I don't know. This, every time I read this story, I always the, the phrase pigs in a blanket comes to mind, and I'm sorry for that. But... <laughs> I'm sorry. But, but this vision, it was of this great sheet 
held up by the four corners, being lowered down to Peter. That's what the vision was. And, and in this sheet, there, there were all kinds of animals that the Jewish people would have considered to be unclean, and they were not permitted to eat them based on their Jewish customs. And, and as this begins to happen in this trance, in this vision that Peter is having, a voice comes to him, Acts 10, 13, and the voice says, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. Which I'll just pause to say, if the words no and Lord are in the same sentence, we're off base. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He's looking back, he, he's, a, he's a good Jewish boy, he's grown up that way and he's never eaten any of that stuff. He's kept all the regulations and the requirements and the laws of Moses. He's done all of that. So, so not so, Lord. I, I can't do that. I can't do that. But the voice spake to him again the second time. And this voice said, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Don't call unclean the things that I am cleansing and working on. Don't, don't, don't write them off and don't push them to the side. Don't call them common or unclean. In this vision, it was done thrice, the Bible says, verse 16, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. You see, God was trying to get Peter to understand that he was about to do something that did not fit within the confines of Jewish tradition. God was wanting to do something beyond the borders of what the church was already doing and reach some Gentiles with the gospel. It was time for the church to get a fresh vision for people that were outside of the church. It was time for the church to get a fresh vision for people that were not like them yet and, and that were far away from where they were. That's what God was doing. Up to now, the church was closed off to the idea of Gentiles, non-Jews being in the church. But God was desiring to work through his people to reach others who were different than them in places that they would not normally expect. You've got to wonder, how is it, how is it that the church missed this? Because it was always God's will for there to be Gentiles in his church. Always God's will. Music, come join me, I'm finishing up. In Genesis 22, there was a word spoken to Abraham, and when God was speaking his promise of covenant to Abraham, he said that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham and his offspring. Not just the Jewish nation. Not just, not just Abraham's offspring and descendants. But somebody say all the nations. All the nations will be blessed. It starts right at the beginning. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 49, he speaks and he says that there will be a light to the Gentiles. Isaiah chapter 60, the prophet, he speaks and he says that the Gentiles shall come to thy light. This is hundreds of years before the age of the church. The prophet Malachi in chapter 1, he says, said that my name shall be great among the Gentiles. How, how did they miss this? How did they miss this? Even Jesus, in his great commission before he ascended up into heaven, he said to go into all the world. Not just to Judea. Not just to Judea. He, he said, same account in the book of Acts chapter 1, he said, you're going to go into Jerusalem, that's, that's a city. Judea, that's a region. Samaria, that's cross-cultural. And to the uttermost parts of the earth. Didn't Jesus say that? In Matthew chapter 28, didn't he say to teach all nations? Not just your nation. All nations. And even Peter himself. And this one's somewhat comical. It's somewhat tragic. Even Peter himself, under the unction of the Holy Ghost, he preached that the promise of salvation in Acts chapter 2, 38 and 39, it was to all that are afar off. Let me say all. All that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Not who I might call, not who I might prefer, but who God shall call. And it's available to all. It's interesting because Peter preached something that day on the day of Pentecost that, that he really didn't even believe. 
You know, he just got under the unction of the Spirit of God, and he just starts prophetically declaring things, and he says, it's available to everybody. But he didn't really believe it. It's 10 years later, and, you know, in some ways, it still doesn't seem like he really believes that he's not acting upon it. How in the world did the church miss these promises and these declarations? Here's the truth. It is easy sometimes to get comfortable doing what we have always done, interacting with who we've always interacted with, and lose our vision for those beyond the borders, for those outside the window. And so while Peter was trying to figure out what all this meant, this, this vision and the, the great sheet knit, the Bible says, and, and the pigs in the blanket, I'm sorry, as he's trying to figure out this vision, these men from Cornelius' house, they they come knocking at the door of the house where he was staying. So he's still on the roof, and the Bible says that while Peter was thinking on this vision, the Spirit said unto him, God started talking again, and he said, Behold, three men seek thee, Peter. Here's what I want you to do. Verse 20, Arise, therefore, get thee down off this roof, and go with them. Somebody shout, when God says go. When God says go, God said, Go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. The words there, doubting nothing, you know what that means? It means making no distinctions. Go with them, making no distinctions. These were Gentile men that had come. But I want you to go, Peter. They're different than you. But I want you to go, making no distinctions. For I have sent them. God was working in all of this. God was working. God was reaching. And he wanted to use Peter, the man with the keys to the kingdom, to unlock the door of salvation to the Gentiles. God wanted Peter to stop making distinctions from this point onward between Jews and Gentiles. And we all ought to be thankful that Acts chapter 10 is in the Bible. Because we wouldn't be here. We, this Gentile church wouldn't be here if it weren't for this account and it weren't, if it weren't for God reaching and if, if it weren't for the Apostle Peter being obedient and doing what God said when God said go. I have to believe that Peter, he's starting to get the picture here that, that, that God is wanting to work beyond the borders of what is typical and reach people that have never been reached. Peter, it's, it's time in this moment, it's time in this season to get a fresh vision for God working in people outside the church, beyond the borders. And in simple obedience, Peter and a few other Jews, they go with these men to Cornelius. Now it's interesting to me, and I'll hasten here, but there are many similarities between Jonah's story in Peter's story in Acts chapter 10. It just so happens that Peter is in Joppa when God starts giving him visions about his mission. Peter's there, and it's the very same place where Jonah was when he was to start his journey to Nineveh. It was Joppa, and Joppa, it, it means beautiful, it means brilliant, it means light. They were in a place of light. Can I tell you, the church... We have been brought out of darkness into his marvelous light. And here we sit in a place of beauty, in a place of light, in a place of revelation. And God is saying it's time to go. It's time to go to places that are not as bright and brilliant and beautiful. It's time to go into some dark places, in places you would not normally expect, reaching for people that are different than you. So here they are in Joppa, Peter and Jonah. We know that Jonah, he was eventually persuaded to do the will of God after three days in the belly of a great fish. And, and Peter was persuaded to go to Cornelius after having the same vision three times. Just for the record, Cornelius had one visit by an angel. And he was like, yes, Lord. Peter, great man of God that he was, same vision three times. God, help us to be as obedient to you as a, as a sinner is. Now, one place Jesus actually calls Peter by his Aramaic name in Matthew chapter 16, Simon Barjona, literally Simon, son of Jonah. And I think the reader is meant to notice these parallels between this Old Testament prophet and this New Testament apostle. But most importantly, the similarity between both stories is that God was reaching for outsiders. God was reaching for people that seemed so drastically different than the ones who are carrying the message. But God is desiring to work through his people to reach others who are different than us in places we would not normally expect. And so I'll close the story 
Peter walks into Cornelius' house where a small crowd has gathered. And he said unto them, you guys know, Acts 10, 28, you guys know that, that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come unto one of another nation. He said, you know what? Where I come from, this shouldn't be happening, but here I am. Because God showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. I was to come making no distinctions. I should never think that anyone is unable to be saved, Peter was saying. And then Peter, verse 34, he opened his mouth and he said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. If, if this Gentile man named Cornelius can have a vision by an angel and, and God can send him to find me, God is no respecter of persons, so I ought not to be a respecter of persons. But in every nation that feareth him and worketh righteousness, that nation is accepted with him. Any na- it doesn't matter. Any nation, if they will turn to him in repentance and if they will turn to him in righteousness, they will be accepted by God. God can save anybody. God can save anybody. God can save the Ninevite. God can save the Gentile in Caesarea. God can save anybody. And I believe God is wanting us to stretch our thinking today and get a vision for those that seem distant. I want you to get them in your mind today. The ones that seem so far off, so cold to the gospel, so cold to faith. I want, to, I want you to get them in your mind today. People that are different than you. And then the call goes forth. Go. Go. Stand with me this morning. I'm preaching today that the church ought not to write anybody off. Don't assume they don't want the truth. There's good ground out there. Come on, there's some dry ground out there that if we would go to that window, partner with the Spirit of God, the the dove is going to find some good ground to perch upon. we got to get a vision. God is saying go. And I'm telling you that when we choose to go, we don't go alone. God will show up. One sermon, 120,000 are turned to God in repentance. And here in Acts chapter 10, Peter begins preaching about Jesus. Preaches the death, preaches the burial, preaches the resurrection. He starts preaching that there is remission of sins through his name. And it's at that point when he's starting to talk about baptism. It's at that point that during his preaching, the Holy Ghost shows up in a powerful, unprecedented, and unexpected way. The dove interrupts Peter's sermon. (laughs) In Acts chapter 10, verse 44, the Bible says that while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost, it fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, the Jews that were with Peter, they believed that, that, that believed they were astonished because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. And how did they know it happened? Verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That's how we still know. It's how they knew back then. It's how we still know today that the Spirit of God has come and taken residence in our heart and in our life to overflowing. There's this river that begins to flow. And as we begin to pray in that heavenly language, they heard them speak with tongues. And Peter answered, hey, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them, not suggested, he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Somebody speak his name today. To be commanded in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then they said, stay with us a while, Peter. Tarry with us certain days. I'm just saying today, God is desiring to work like that today. God is desiring to work through his church to reach people that are different than us in places that we would not normally expect. The Spirit of God, the voice of God today is saying, go. It's time to go. It's time to get a burden like never before. It's time to get a burden and get a vision at the window of the church and say, there's somebody that's not in here yet that I can reach to, that I can love, that I can go to and preach. I wonder as we close this this service, I believe that that kind of burden can be transferred and imparted in this service today. 
I, I believe that the Spirit of God, if it can happen in Acts chapter 10 in, in a Gentile house, I believe that the Spirit of God can descend in this altar service as we pray and somebody can be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost this morning. I believe that with every fiber of my being today. How many know that the Spirit of God, it's not, it's not some distant, faraway thing. He is as close as the mention of His name. If you need the Holy Ghost today, if you, if you need your sins washed in the waters of baptism, today is your day. I, I wouldn't leave this place without making sure I'm getting through the door of Jesus into this ark. I, I'm leaving this place knowing that I'm right with God and that I am saved. Here's what I want us to do. Whether you're coming to God in, for salvation or church family, if you're coming to God this morning, you're saying, God baptized me with that kind of burden for those outside the church. I wonder if we could all just take a step forward. There's people that are coming to God this morning. I, I, just, I would encourage our church family to all join us around the front for those that are making a step toward God today, that they would feel comfortable in doing so. Because God is saying, go. It's time to go. It's time to go. prophet Isaiah, I close. He said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And the only response appropriate, then said I, here am I, send me. I'll go. What will our response be when the Spirit prompts us and says, go, I'll go, here I am, God, I'm willing to step out in faith and do what you're saying. Can we lift our hands this morning all across the house? Whatever you need from the Lord, come on, burden. The mantle of a burden of God for the lost is here in this room. The Spirit of God is flowing and moving. Come on, you can receive what you need from the Lord today. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your voice. Lift your voice. If you're seeking the infilling of the gift of the Holy Ghost, can you just lift your voice? And just offer your praise to the Lord. He dwells in the praises of his people today. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, I feel something in the atmosphere right now. Just lift what you feel. Just push in the Holy Ghost for a moment. God put it in my spirit for this service this morning. God wants to work through you to reach for somebody that might seem different than you. And it may happen in places that you least expect, unfamiliar territory, but God will go with you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, God, we're taking the limits off today. We're opening a window wide. We're setting our sights on our city. God, we're lifting our voice. Give us a burden for our community, for our neighbors. Come on, give us a burden for somebody that doesn't necessarily fit in our, our bubble, our structure, maybe of a different class, maybe of a different race. God, maybe of a different gender. It doesn't matter. Help us to reach somebody with the gospel of Jesus Christ. for another moment. I need, I need the church to just lift your voice and just, and just give in to what God is, is doing in this moment. Just kind of get in the flow of what the Spirit is doing today. Can we just raise our hands and just get in that Holy Ghost jet stream for a minute? Come on, raise your hands and raise your voice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
before we sing and before we kind of move on in the altar service, whether you're at the front or in the seats in the balcony, it doesn't matter where you are. I wonder if you can just take the hand of the person next to you, find somebody near you and just put your arm around their shoulder. We need to make a connection. Pray one for another, one with another. And here's what I believe. Jesus said, greater works than these shall ye do. And if the Spirit of God can interrupt the Apostle Peter in the first century, I really believe that there can be just an overflow and just this inundation of the Spirit of God. I still believe that, that the Lord desires to fill people with the gift of the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I believe that's in the room today. But I need a church to believe that with me. Can we just lift our faith? Can we pray one with another? If you need the Holy Ghost, come on. If you've never prayed and God has filled you and there's been that utterance, that evidence speaking in a heavenly language, come on, don't, don't shut that down. Don't cage the dove today. Don't cage what God is wanting to do. Let it flow. Can we lay, lift our voice, raise our voices right now and just pray and say, God, do it today. God, you did it there in, in Cornelius' house. God, do it today in this house. Pour out the gift of the Spirit upon all flesh. Come on, it's for you today. It's for you today. The promise is for you and for your children and all those who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's not for somebody else. It's for you. They were all filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. That's what the Bible says. God, we receive it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Keep praying. Keep Be praying, church. Can we keep seeking after what the Lord Be is doing?